Welcome to Candace History Podcast. My name is Julie Richards, and I am this year's Nobleman Scholar at Candace History Society. Over the past month, it has been my pleasure to chat with the 2021 Governor General's History Award Excellence in Teaching shortlist. Listen in as the teachers and I discuss their wonderful and inspiring projects, teaching during the pandemic, and how to keep students engaged in history. My name is Randall Keast. I currently teach at uh, Georgetown District High School in Halton Region. Uh, I've been there for the last uh, 20, 21 years. Um, before that, I taught in the Middle East for three years at Ibn Khaldun National School. Uh, before that, I, I taught in, um, in Canada here at White Oak Secondary School and T.A. Blakelock, which are two schools in the southern part of Halton. And to start my career, I began teaching in Japan um, at uh, the Nagoya YMCA College of English for a number of years. So I've been teaching for 35 years now. I think I put down on, on, on these forms, it was 34. My math is awful. And uh, it's actually 35 years that I've been teaching a wonderful <laughs> career. Um, I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, I've done uh, been teaching uh, International Baccalaureate or IB. I uh, was one of the founders of the IB program at Georgetown District High School and I was an IB coordinator for five years, a department head for five years. Uh, and now I'm just teaching. Um, looking forward to, as I start to wind down my career, um, just to do the thing that I love the most, and that's teaching students in the classroom. So I plan on doing that for at least four more years, and we'll see after that. That's amazing. That's such an impressive um, collection of schools um, and a variety of spaces. Um, I, I have to ask, I went to Thomas A. Blakelock oh, you did. Uh, in high school. When did you teach there? Let's see now. T.A. Blakelock, I would have been there. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. It was before I went to the Middle East. It would have been uh, taught in Japan from, from 86 to 89. I came home. I think I started teaching in 89, 90. Um, it... it You know what? <laughs> it's difficult. It was it was Blakelock first, then it was White Oak Secondary School, and then it was at Georgetown District High School up until '96, and then I went off and taught in the Middle East for three years. So it would have been Blakelock '89, '90. Okay. So Larry Zavitz was the principal at the time. Absolutely fabulous. Okay, before my time, then I. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm sure not much has changed. I. <laughs> I think it's mostly the same. Well, they've, they've had a few additions. And, you know, I think they've added the theater there. that it wasn't there when I was there. And, and uh, oh, a yeah. few odds and sods. But I thought when I first came, I was teaching in the language department. So I was teaching English as a second language because I had been teaching in Japan to that point for three years, ESL, um, and English literature and stuff like that. So I started teaching, I think her name was Madame Foles. Um was the, 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 the language teacher there. Uh, and I worked in that department, teaching English as a second language. And I didn't actually start teaching history uh, until I got to, to um, Georgetown District High School. I think I taught history for a year, maybe two, at White Oak Secondary School. But at the time, uh, because of um, just the nature of teaching, uh, I was surplus, um, surplus to the school. So I was changed from from uh, T.A. Blakelock to White Oaks 
was there for about four and a half years and then to Georgetown District for one year. Uh, and then that's when I took the leave of absence and went and taught in the Middle East for three years. Then coming back, I returned to the school that I left from, which was Georgetown District. And I've never left Georgetown District. It is my school. Okay, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, how is teaching in the Middle East and in Japan? Is it is it very different from here? You know what? Teaching is teaching, as 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 we both know. Uh, having said that, I mean it was a wonderful experience teaching in in Japan. I was right, you know, I, I did graduate school, came out of graduate school, went to Queens, came out of Queens, and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to travel. I wanted to. Um, uh, and at the time, it was difficult to get finding jobs in Ontario uh, in the the mid '80s, and so I went to to Japan. Had an incredibly phenomenal experience. Got married, did those things, um, and uh, then came back. And um, going off to the Middle East was uh, it was a unique opportunity. I was uh, divorced at that point, and um, a new experience. A little bit of running away, maybe. Um, I, I got in to teach at an international school uh, at uh, Ibn Khaldun National School in Manama um, and had an equally wonderful experience. Uh, international teaching is, is, is a wonderful way to develop your abilities uh, because you are meeting educators from across the planet. And we all um, teach differently. We have different approaches and different perspectives and different values and so on and so forth uh you know the skills are are very similar but the how we get there are quite different so from a development of of pedagogy and so on and so forth it was a wonderful enriching opportunity both teaching in japan as well as teaching in uh, in uh, in bahrain in the arabian gulf um you know, and, and both are, uh, in terms of history teacher, uh, you know, Japan is one of Canada's biggest trading partners. And, you know, understanding the Middle East, I, I love teaching ancient civilizations. And and uh, so for me to live in Bahrain, you know, the island of Dilmun, uh, back to, or in the island of Tylos in the Bible, um, was just an opportunity that uh, wasn't to be missed. Um, and I used it to travel throughout the Middle East and and uh, visit ancient sites and so on and so forth. It was wonderful. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing! Like such a great opportunity um, to be there and to be teaching. And yeah, with all that history just around all around you, it sounds fantastic. Um, okay. Do you want to go through your project? The Human Rights Symposium. It's uh, the idea is to to have a conference with the students uh, and talk about in a sense, Canada's history, but from the perspective, multitude of perspectives. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's you know, as a teaching grade 10 history today is, 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 is uh, uh, based on skill, skill approach. Strand A is the skill approach in terms of teaching the language. Um, and it was um, a young colleague of mine and I that sat down and, and he had just come back from teaching in the, in uh, Britain and, and, uh, at the time, of course, we've had uh, a tremendous amount of, of uh, professional development as educators on um, equity and uh, gender roles and indigenous issues and and so on and so forth. And so it was just a sort of out here in the back garden. Okay, how can we bring this into the classroom uh, and uh, uh, 
include it in our curriculum or make it a part of our curriculum. Um, and as you know, all the way through the uh, grade 10 history curriculum, there is opportunities to, to, um, to teach uh, um, about Canadian min minorities and women issues and so on and so forth. But we wanted to, to start the course uh, with um, we start in, in my history course, it's, it's, uh, it's always been uh, the first week, who is Mr. Keast? Uh, and then after that, who are you? So that first unit is on identity. Uh, and so the Human Rights Symposium became the major project in the identity unit uh, because it allowed students to either choose the identity that, that their family uh, is a part of, or to choose um, 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 one of the uh, uh, groups in Canadian society that they link themselves to or, or associate themselves with or are interested in finding out about. Uh, and there are a number of components to the project, but the, the idea was, I mean, we've spent so much time in our society and, and so much time lately talking about the importance of various communities. Uh, it just seemed like a good place to start the history class. And if you start from a place where students feel that they're, that they're participating in creating what they're learning, they're, they're much more enthused about wanting to learn. You know what I'm saying? They, uh, um, you know, part of the, the first part of the course is, you know, or the first part of this um, project is uh, to prepare a, an organizer where they um, um, have their, um, um, they're into their research groups and they're looking at historically marginalized Canadian groups in society. Uh, and they start in 1910, which is also the beginning of our course, and they look at major events and major people that participated in those uh, marginalized groups and they bring it up in uh, the organizer that they create is called the Road to Equity, and it's looking at uh, individuals and events and why they're important, why they happened, uh, so what, and now what? How do we move forward? Um, and it's, uh, you know, that's the beginning of the project, and, the, you know, the next couple of days of the project, it's, it's finding out heroes or people that have that have uh, represented the various groups and contributed uh, to the development on the road to equity in Canadian society of those particular groups, the students' research. Uh, and this year they created um, um, like a podcast, in a sense of what, what we're doing here, but an audiovisual um, where they uh, uh, talk about the person they've researched. Uh, and in the past we had a sort of like the, the opening day of, of a, a symposium or a conference uh, on um, Canada's road to equity. Uh, and uh, the kids will have uh, come together uh, and talk about the various uh, marginalized groups in Canadian society. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a presentation from one of our equity experts in the Halton Board of Education, or um, 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 uh, another figure, or 
and so on and so forth, and uh, students merge, and then the idea that after after the the, the symposium and the the first day of the conference is done, the second and third days of the conference is in um, uh, seminars. Seminars, like in a conference that you'd attend, you have sort of an opening remarks, uh, and then you have individual conferences that you attend. And these conferences are, are based on, on questions, to what extent is your group experiencing equity in 2021? Canadian society and to what extent you're marginalized um, experiencing di discrimination in Canada, in Canada today uh, and to what extent does racism remain a reality in, Canadian, in Canada today. So these are all the types of questions that uh, students participate from the perspective of their particular group uh, throughout the symposium itself. And then we finish off with a debrief uh, and I have the students write a question on to what extent is Canada a just society today? I have them, after they finish that, they'll they'll write a, what I call an OPVL, which is a, a critical analysis of, of um, an article that's published on the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, cite one of their stories. Uh, and we, you know, um, that's sort of the, the overview of the project itself. The groups that I have the kids um, have the possibility of researching include the African Canadians, Southeast Asian people, East European, First Nations peoples, followers of Islam, Inuit people, Jewish people, LGBTQ, um, persons with disabilities, West Indians, and women um, are all groups within uh, the project's parameters. Yeah, that's such an amazing project and so so in-depth too. And I feel like all those questions being asked are really important questions um, that don't don't always get answered in history. Um, yeah, it, it sounds amazing. And I something that I definitely would have well, wanted to do. What did I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's really important in that first unit to not be the one that's doing all the talking. It's so important as an educator today to, to give the students a voice, allow them to do the talking, allow them. I mean, I, I, in terms of, you know, making suggestions in terms of famous Canadians or famous uh, people in the various groups as suggestions to stop or start for sure, I will go through and give them various events as suggestions as well, based on the, the curriculum. But it's the students that choose uh, the events that they want to talk about and elaborate upon through the last hundred years of Canadian history. And and in the seminar, because the seminars, I mean, this year we had three-hour classes in the morning. Well, I had the symposium. I did it in my grade 10 history class. I also did it in my grade 9 geography class. And they loved it as well. <laughs> You know, the, you know the, the 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 seminars can go for you know one hour. Sometimes they go a little bit longer because the kids really start to get into it and come in it from, from perspective and so on and so forth. I'm not talking; the students are talking, uh, and they're talking from a position at that point um, of of knowledge because they they've spent the number of days researching and preparing the uh, onto equity, and they 
in, in their reflections. They're absolutely wonderful reflections that the students write at the end of it because they realize that, you know, we like to think we're in a pretty good spot here in Canada in terms of how our how we 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 treat others. Uh, but in reality, we're not there yet. We have a ways to go, uh, as we've seen with, with the events this summer with uh, Indigenous um, um, peoples and, and the findings of the cemeteries and so on and so forth. So it's, it's, it's that, you know, is, is sort of the message. And, and then for the entire rest of the course, the students have that basis of of knowledge they're looking at the events that we study in the rest of the course through the lens and the eye and the eyes of of those communities so it 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 again i mean one of the the one of the beliefs i've always had is in this idea of looking at history not through your own lens uh, that is uh, an important lens to, to have, of course, but through a multitude of perspectives and, and other perspectives are, are equally as important. You can't, you know, preparing students for, for university is, I teach the IB International Baccalaureate at Georgetown and, and as you know, or um, uh, may know that uh, that course, that diploma starts in, in grade 11 and 12. But the key to success, and I prepare my students not to be successful in first year university, but in second year university, because that's where my students end up uh, if they do well in their IB courses. But in that course, the key element of teaching history is about perspective, uh, is about uh, historiography, is coming at it from a, a number of different directions. So, you know, Doing something like this in a in a grade ten history class and giving students voices is one of my key elements. I mean, I, you know, my students will do seminars throughout the rest of the course uh, based on their understanding of primary sources and and secondary sources and and organized around um, um, the big questions. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's such important. Um, skills to learn, at, especially in a, at a high school level, because um, university, they kind of just expect that you know all that, and sometimes you don't, and you kind of have to figure that out on your own. But to have that skill set before you even get there is amazing, and you're already so used to seminars and thinking about history in different perspectives is really essential too. So you've already kind of talked about this, but is there anything specific that inspired you to develop this project? Yes. Um, it was 2000 and, and you know what, it all goes back to bringing the IB program to Georgetown District High School. We did that in, in 2007, we pro we started the process, we brought it in 2009. It, it was important at the time to bring a global perspective to this community. It was one of the reasons uh, we 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 brought the program to Georgetown. Uh, uh, you don't know the history of the school, and you know we were called rebels until uh, just a couple of years ago, and uh, and 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 all that entails. And as you're thinking about that word rebels, uh, do not be thinking of 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 Canadian examples. Do think um, about the symbols of the rebels from from the Civil War in the United States because they did exist in our school. Uh, and so keeping that in your minds, um, it was a, a, a desire amongst a group of us to bring that global perspective, the importance of that to the school. And then once we got it here, um, you know, 
even getting it to the school had issues. Uh, and there were a number of things that happened at the school that led me to um, a course, a summer institute on genocide. And I studied that for, uh, I took that course. It was a one-week course, had all kinds of speakers from all over the the communities of, of the Jewish community and the um, Darfur communities and, and Ukrainians and so on and so forth. Anyways, I took that course and in 2014, I went to um, Uganda, or not Uganda, to, uh, to attend, oh, gee whiz, Rwanda, sorry, to study the Rwandan genocide. Uh, and two years later, I went to uh, uh, Germany and studied the uh, uh, the Holocaust with a group of educators from across Canada. Uh, and it was during one of those events that um, uh, someone from a teaching colleague from Winnipeg talked about um, the genocide that happened in Canada. And I, of course, up to that point, really hadn't heard of a genocide that happened in Canada. And that started me down the road, my learning path to understanding the um, um, what had happened to Indigenous peoples, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people here in Canada around residential schools. And I've been pursuing that in terms of my learning journey uh, since 2015, the publishing of the, of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and attending conferences and, and trying to, to, to become a better teacher in that particular role. So, you know, here I am learning about, you know, the the Holdemore, the, the Ukrainian genocide. I've learned about the Jewish, the Holocaust as a history teacher, not knowing about the residential school situation and now becoming a uh, better understanding that more. Uh, and then, of course, we have the, uh, you know, the uh, the changing and, and the understanding and Black Lives Matter and, and um, LGBTQ community uh, um, have 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 been in the news and and moving towards and and trying to advance uh, um, their position equi- more of an equitable position in in Canada and of course the fight for women and so on and so forth. So all of these things are coming together. The name change we finally got the name changed at the school. It was an absolute war, uh, but we got it changed to back to our roots. The school opened up in 1887, and we're called Georgetown. Um, district high school 87s now and and so it's it's just sort of confluence of a whole bunch of things in society and in our community a real fight for sort of perspective from multitude of perspectives and it so sitting on that back porch it would have been a, a number of years ago um with that young teacher who had the same values in terms of approach to teaching giving students the voice uh, looking for activities that were very engaging. Um, we created this project. His name's Jordan Dias. Uh, and Jordan's just a young pup uh, who's <laughs> a young teacher uh, in the Halton Board of Education, absolutely phenomenal teacher and history teacher. And, and uh, he'll be back at Georgetown next year. Um, we created this project and spent the entire March break um, creating it and putting it all together and adding things to it and subtracting things and and making all that it is today. Uh, and I've used it every year since um, um, as an opening project to my grade 10 history class. And I did it this year because they gave me a grade nine history or grade nine geography class to teach. And I did it in in uh, 
in that course as well because there's a human geography component and I just thought it it, it fit uh, perfectly with the curriculum. You know, I teach uh, a world history. I teach uh, ancient civilizations and and the perspective of those particular communities uh, in 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 the history uh, going back is something that I that I include. Um, the, the the questions change, of course, because it's uh, uh, the questions I made for this program is is um, in this uh, human rights symposium um, is uh, is based on the here and now. However, those questions uh, can be asked uh, right back uh, throughout history. And I also teach the philosophy class at Georgetown District High School, so we have those discussions there as well. Wow, yeah, it seems like the perfect combination of of subjects for this project. Um, and I, and I, the students sound very engaged in it as well. Uh, sounds very interesting for them. You know, it's 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 always been about engaging students, and and you gotta. I mean, I have personal philosophy of, of, um, you know, uh, I, I would call it my six P's to teaching philosophy or teaching history. And it was, um, you know, you have to have patience, you have to have perseverance, you have to practice. Uh, I can't remember the other P's, but the last one is you got to play, you got to have fun, you got to enjoy it. And if you enjoy a history class, uh, you want to be there. Uh, and you want to you want to be doing things, and you, you don't want to be realizing that you're you're actually you're actually learning important skills that you'll be able to to have and use beyond uh, Mr. Keith's grade ten history class, and that's that's always been my philosophy. So I'm always looking for the next engaging activity, the next project that uh, grabs the attention of the students. I, my geography class this year, I had the, you know, we're all virtual online, of course. And, and, uh, you know, and I can't have these enriching sort of experiences that I would in my, in my classroom, but, you know, we've had seminars, kids seem to all enjoy those anyways. And, but, you know, the opportunity, affordable housing, Georgetown, the community, town hall, uh, and kids made presentations and and did them in front of town hall, and it was it was really, you know, a unique opportunity um, that uh, that I was given the opportunity for and jump at. And as teachers, uh, this is our job: is to look for. Um, inspiring activities that engage our students and once they're engaged watch out uh, because they they will just take you in directions that you as a teacher would never have thought they could achieve uh, and it's it's you know yeah you, you, when I've taught at Georgetown District High School I've taught uh, IB students I've taught academic students I've taught gifted students I've taught um, um, applied students I've taught uh, essential students. I've taught the whole gamut. Uh, and, you know, and all students want engaging projects, engaging activities to work on. Um, and they thrive on it. And if you give them the opportunity, uh, they'll really, you know, open your eyes to what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. That's such an amazing philosophy to have. And yeah, it just so it sounds amazing. Um, and I, I know definitely everyone that I've met in history has always had that one 
that one teacher, that one assignment that really just like sparked their interest and created a whole career of history education for them, basically, just because of one one tiny assignment. No, I totally agree with you, Julia. It's it's uh, you know it's wonderful to hear from students that I've taught, and you know they're history teachers now teaching um, in other places and other parts of the planet, and they always send me emails and we're on Facebook and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, and it's it's you're right. It's it's doesn't matter the activity, but you're always looking for uh, neat things to do. It's um, project. One of the projects that I did with uh, uh, the young teacher that helped me work on this project, uh, he had his history class. I had my history class. We both taught at the same period. So we do this First World War simulation. And his class was the um, uh, the war front. And in his class, we got there's this great little um, I can't even remember the activity, but a connector that allows you to connect uh, cardboard boxes together. So in his classroom, they did the war front. So they were making trenches out of these cardboard boxes uh, at, to do the simulation, which was the, the students on the on the front lines of World War One, and they had to stay crouched in the in the trench lines and so on and so on. And in my classroom, the students were participating in the home front. And what happened on the home front? Um, this kids are sending letters from the from the home front to those on the, the battle front. Those that are on the battle front are sending letters home to those on the on the home front. And that was the essential communication between the two classes. Um, and you know the kids on the home front were building houses using the cardboard and and so on and so forth. Anyways, the activity we took through a number of different battles from Canada's participation in the First World War um, and. Uh, and the kids on the ho- on the battlefront were writing and telling the students on the home front about the participation on on those various battles and so on and so forth. And it was a really engaging activity that the kids really um, get a get a lot of an understanding about, but really enjoy. Yeah, that sounds so interesting and such a great way to like visualize um, the battles because it's one thing to learn about it, but then to actually um, kind of um, recreate them in a way and, and like fully understand how key communication was. That's really fascinating. Um, so what would you say is the greatest impact of, of this project? I think the greatest impla- impact of the project comes right at the end. Um, the last activity I have the students do is to write a reflection. It's usually three or four paragraphs, but they talk about to what extent is Canada a just society today? Um, is Canada a just society? And, and it's, it's the level of understanding, the, um, the depth of, of understanding of, the, of what is happening in our community today to um, various groups that have, are fighting for, for equitable rights. Uh, and it's it's the connection to the importance of the United Nations and 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 human rights and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and what that actually means um, to to people's rights going forward um, and how to know that the job's not done yet. Yeah, absolutely. And such an important part of history, too, is is bringing it forward to the present, that it, it didn't just happen in the past. There's still influences seen today. 
Um, and I think that's such a great way of bringing that forward into the present and seeing the very real um, consequences of, of history. Well, as you know, students have been living. Um, we are so much more media savvy. Uh, the pandemic has, has, has forced all of us to uh, become very media savvy. And, and the students are, are getting bombarded all the time with, um, uh, from various media sources and, 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 and types of media to be able to, to understand and balance and question and, and critique that is, is an important step to be able to ask those questions and, and look for other sources of information to balance off the various uh, media that we're bombarded with every day. Uh, is so important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's sort of a, a skill that you learn in history without kind of knowing that you, that you learn it. Um, that is so applicable in everyday life. Um, so how do you, um, so how do you try to keep your students engaged? Um, I feel like we have kind of touched on this already as well um, with, with uh, the variety of activities that you try to implement. Um, but how do you try to keep history relevant? I think it's, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that if, if you look at this year, for instance, in the quadmasters and, and the, the various classes, at the beginning of the year, it was, it was really easy. <laughs> the students all wanted to, to just be doing something. Uh, and up through the middle of the year, again, I mean, I had each seen 18 students in a philosophy class and the, the marks were just absolutely outrageous. Kids did exceptionally well. Um, you know, and geography class worked really, really well, and everything just chugged along. And then in the last quad, I had my ancient civilizations class. Well, that is my favorite class to teach uh, on the planet. I've always loved it because I've been to all the places that I teach about. And um, I had probably about, oh, probably about five or six students of the 28 that really weren't engaged. Uh, they were there in the, the virtual classroom, but they weren't. They were clearly tabbed somewhere else. And that doesn't really happen to me very often. Uh, usually when I have classes in my classroom, I mean, kids don't tend to skip Keisty's class. It just doesn't happen. And so it was, a, it was an ongoing struggle this semester uh, in that final quad. Uh, with students that were not engaging. And it was uh, very frustrating. I mean, 25 of them were engaged and 25 of them participated. And, and we had great seminars and discussions and stuff like that. But there were five that, that really struggled uh, and didn't really turn the jets on until the last, uh, last week or two. And, and uh, unfortunately, one of them didn't turn to, to the jets on at all. Um, so it's, 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 I think for an engaging classroom virtually, it's important as, as again, to, to not have the teacher doing all of the talking. It's got to be student voice as much as, pro, as, as possible. And, and therefore, the role of, of, of the seminar of, of having big questions. Uh, you know, I usually start the, the, the class with sort of opening chat. Uh, with with an issue from um, something in the world today, something in the in Canada today, um, a topic 
you know, I might start with, you know, where in the world has Kisti been, if, if it, depending on the class that, that, that we're at. But that opening chat, getting the students talking um, and, and therefore listening to each other. We'd, sometimes we'd do breakout rooms because uh, we use Google Meet, of course. And, and so we'd have them in breakout rooms and I'd give them a question and just let the kids chat. You know, in many, in some cases, it, it, they didn't talk about history, but they were chatting with each other and talking to each other. Uh, and then we'd come back and, and into the lesson and it, and giving chat time. I mean, when I was doing the, these three hour mega lessons at, at school, you know, we would take a break and do a walkabout. We'd walk somewhere in town. Uh, and right across from the school is, is, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Second World War uh, homes that they were built for veterans, and there's a plaque there. So we walk over to the to the plaque, or we walk down to the Cedarville Park in Georgetown, where the um, Georgetown boys, the, uh, uh, the, the 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 young, there was a uh, 50 young boys that that um, were adopted by the Georgetown community back in the 1920s. Then there were 50 girls, and then there were 50 more boys. They called them the Georgetown boys, and and um, um, and it was based on a genocide that happened in Turkey, uh, and the um, and so on and so forth. So it's it's getting them out, getting them participating, getting them talking about um, what they're seeing in our town and our community, and uh, and coming back. And so using that strategy virtually, uh, and and trying to throw curveballs and and asking lots of questions and getting student voice is is so important um, in teaching in this new environment for sure. Um, beginning of semester, not a problem. Uh, end of semester in fourth quad, that was a struggle. I probably not met uh, something quite like that in my teaching career, for sure. Yeah, that, uh, that must make everything so much harder, um, especially with COVID. And I'm sure many students were feeling just burnt out and just like just not feeling the online learning anymore because I know it can be really exhausting. Um, that sounds like such a, such an amazing classroom environment, and, like very engaging. Well, you know, I would like to think that's the truth, Julia, but it, a two hour class is tough. You know, I remember those two hour classes at university and that's tough, but a two hour class for, for high school students or grade nine students or 12, it doesn't really matter. That's tough. But a three hour class, which is the ones that we do in the morning. Wow. So that was really tough, um, you know, and it's, 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 and on one subject area. So it's, you have to, you know, it's, that was definitely a challenge for all educators across the province. And most of us had no experience teaching uh, for that long in one subject. Um, and I know it was a challenge for, for everyone. And uh, having said that, we got through it and we survived it and hopefully we're back in the, the classroom next fall without another, another wave. Um, I know all my colleagues are being double vaccinated and, and hopefully our students are getting vaccinated and, and we can return to the classroom and return to extracurriculars. And, uh, but unfortunately for the first half of the year, our district has decided that we would, um, still have three hour classes and actually two at two and a half hour classes, two and a half hour class in the morning and a two and a half hour class in the afternoon. 
So that's yeah, still yeah. Fingers still crossed. Tough. Everything goes well. Um, the fall is looking good, hopefully. Um, but yeah, that those long hours. That's that's crazy. Even in university, um, I don't think they they try not to. I had very few three hour classes, and that's only once a week too. Uh, that's so much content to get through and so much to learn and memorize. So, you know, I think one of the keys, and it was the reason why in, in Ontario they changed the curriculum probably 15 years back, and that was to make strand A about skills. Um, and uh, then strand B, C, D, and E were about uh, content. Uh, but making skills being the emphasis and you know, this new platform, this new way of teaching, you just can't cover all the content that that maybe you could cover in a in a 90-hour, 90 90-period 90 class um, in, a, in a typical year. And what you have to strive on instead is, is cover those skills, those uh, researching skills, those um, uh, critical analysis skills, those oral presentation skills, those writing skills. Um, you know, those skills are, are the essence of, of teaching a modern history course. It, it was before the, the pandemic, but it's definitely during the pandemic. It's uh, making sure that when the kids left, at least they had those skills. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it is, as we go forward, it's, it's those skills that allow students to be successful, um in life uh, as well as in school and it's uh, you know to be able to participate in a seminar and state your opinion clearly to whatever question that's asked and and support it with a specific example whether it's a quotation or a paraphrased of an idea and then state where you get your information from um, that pattern of 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 answering the questions is 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 you know something that you need it's it corresponds and transfers to when you write essays and so on and so forth but it also in, in making presentations it it is a key core element uh and it's it's what we did we do a lot of in the in the class in all the courses it's it's key element uh whether it's a seminar whether it's uh, an opvl or whether it's uh, an essay yeah absolutely those skills are so so important um and yeah, so so good for students to have those and come away with those skills. Um, well, that's everything that I have. Did you have any any final thoughts? Anything else that you wanted to include? I don't think so. You know, it's it's what are we? July fifteenth, July sixteenth today, and and uh, you know, the semester ended. I guess more than two weeks ago, a little bit more than two weeks ago, with all the marking and stuff like that, and. And um, I don't usually start thinking about school until the beginning of August. So I apologize if I'm a little scattered um, today. Having said that, I'm teaching an American history course for the first time in my teaching career uh, in September. And I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and then I teach my philosophy class and my grade 10 history class as well. But uh, We'll see what the, 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 the new year holds. It, it promises to be as exciting as this year's was. And, and I think, you know, as a comment to, to teachers and educators everywhere is, you know, 
look for interesting activities to work in with your kids and and you as a teacher keep studying your history and 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 and, and improving upon your 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 style of teaching and, and uh, looking for new ideas is is uh, uh, the key element I, I, I tell anybody that will will listen to me is if you have the opportunity to get a student teacher to come into your class um, and and work with it's just as good for you as it is for the student teacher because you usually pick up a new idea or two that they are being taught at the teachers colleges right now and it's uh, a great way of of picking up engaging activities i mean this young pup was um, Jordan Dias was so in inspirational to me in terms of bringing in a new idea, um, you know, on a project that, I mean, I mean, the project, I mean, I do a, uh, in my ancient civilizations class, I do a puzzle pyramids debate and I have the kids uh, role play various perspectives, um, whether it's uh, um, uh, using uh, um Heave Hove theory, which is Clifford Wilson's, or Davidovitz, who believed in poured cement, or um, Eric von Donikin's belief that the, the, the pyramids were created by the gods. Um, again, it's it's sort of a role play. Kids do research on various elements, and uh, they they prepare for the actual. And they have the King Tutti Frutti and his council of minister of natural resources and finance, and so on and so forth. And the kids participate in a in a, in a seminar. Um, around big questions, uh, and then there's a debrief and reflection afterwards. And and uh, you know, I do in my grade nine hist or grade ten history course, a Paris Peace Conference, a Peace Conference of 1919, uh, with the students, which again is very similar with with role playing various participants at the Paris Peace Conference and and the various perspectives uh, around big questions. Uh, and so this Project Human Rights Symposium is not that different from what I've always done. Uh, it's The subject is so current uh, and there makes, um, you know, and, and, and so I've plugged that current topic into uh, the activity approach that I've, that I've always used in my career as a teacher. But, yeah, that's really amazing advice. Um, it definitely keeps you keeps you uh, relevant, keeps you engaged. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much for your time.